Welcome to the junk drawer. Joseph Gordon-Levitt sees the tweet <laughs> and replies, watch it again, it's mostly Tom's fault. How's the body? Great body. <laughs> no, the dead body. The dead <laughs> body. I'll give you 20 minutes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, all that you need to do is shoot guns and have sex. Uh, I'd give it an 80%. Oh my That's God. Fine. Here's why. You know the differences between y'all and me? I make this look good. It's finally time to open the junk drawer. All right, and we are back at it again with the junk drawer. I feel like we haven't done this in a long time. Well, no one would know that until you just said that just then, right there. But that's fine. So uh, Hey, congrats to Cole. He's married now. Cole's married now. Feels good. Cheers. That's Mr. Cole. Lachaim. Mr. Cole Brown. Yeah, salud. <laughs> Mr. Cole salud. Brown. We do like the yeah. sound of that. Cheers. Toda. Toda Raba. Toda Raba. Cheers. Don't know what that means? It's, it's cool. So, this week, we are jumping into a movie that I'm very excited about. A movie that taught me one important thing, that selling a gun for the first time is a lot like having sex for the first time. You're excited, but you don't really know what the hell you're doing. In some way, one way or another, it's over way too fast. Oh boy. We are doing Lord of War, 2005 movie starring my friend, our friend, Nicholas Cage. Honestly, the podcast friend. The po friend, of, friend of the podcast, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, this is his first appearance. In a movie? No, on the pod. Oh, this is the first Nicholas Cage. I'm sure it won't be the last. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, it will be. So. <laughs> Spoiler. Wow. She's really showing your colors there. <laughs> so, um, I am very excited to do this movie. This is a movie that I love irrationally more than I should. Wow. It is a movie wow. that I... Uh, I know isn't as good as I think it is. You're crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> and I'm okay with Go that. Crazy. Um, so we'll start with our personal ratings. We'll get to me last, and I'll wait, rate it okay. way too high because I know I just like this movie more than most people. Uh, Mario, we'll start with you because you, yeah. you had not seen this movie before. I right? had not. Okay. I had not. Um, so going in, I had always heard that it was one of an, one of Nick Cage's iconic movies, like a well a well That's known okay. a well known Nick Cage movie. It took me talking with you to find out that it was right in the sweet spot when he was still good and just trailing off. The end of his quote-unquote good boots. Yeah. Mm. So I was angry at you within minutes of watching this movie that you would choose something so unenjoyable, bad, weird, weird, like it was trying to be weird and dark, but it couldn't accomplish it. I got no enjoyment out of it. It was just random scenes. It was a dumpster fire of a film. Now I know why Nick Cage is a bad actor. God, it was just a nightmare of a movie for me. I had to watch it in like four or five parts. So I would give it a solid 19%. 19? 19. 19%. Wow. Okay. Not, that seems unimaginably It low. is not a good movie. 19. I never you can, recommend You can think something's not good at 19% though. I thought it was That's worse. hundred. I thought it was worse than... The two low-rated movies of the summer, Men in Black, International, and Dark Phoenix, and those were at 23% Rotten Tomatoes. That's Rotten Tomato score. I thought this was much worse. I didn't enjoy it at all. There was no fun. That's crazy. It, I thought it was going to be like, you know, Ocean's Eleven. It's not like Ocean's Eleven where people just hang out and do whatever they want. <laughs> like a Sky reference. But yeah. No, I really, really, really hated it with a passion. Interesting. Well, we will get into that in a second, but Cole, very interested to see how you liked it. Cole, I know you love this movie not much, not as much as I do. I don't think, but what it, think? it definitely right is room? an enjoyable experience. Oh God! But we'll get into when we talk about kind of the are we sure of of our ratings. There's there's a big part I want to kind of unpack for myself. So the short answer is I gave it a seventy percent. What? I gave it a seventy percent. That holds that it, it was a movie that I enjoyed. There's parts of it that I really enjoyed. But again, I think there are some things that you just said in your rant, Mario, that I do agree with. That it does feel pretty disjointed at times. Um, it definitely seventy—that's a high rating, though. Not to me. Seventy percent represents like kind of like the large collection of some of my less favorite movies. Okay. They're not. It's certainly not seventy percent that I you know give out to me because I really enjoy. <laughs> this makes Daredevil look like an Oscar winner. <laughs> I know Daredevil is our go-to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Daredevil should be our go-to back. But I do agree that you know, part of it is that <laughs> when it tries yeah, to be like dark and brooding, it's kind of strange to make that happen with Nick, Clay, Nick Cage narrating it. It reminds me of Michael Scarn trying to be, oh, no, like in, in Threat Level Midnight. That's... So I do think, and we'll get into this more later, but I do think some of that is 
the connotation of who Nick Cage is as an actor right now in 2019 and not who he was as an actor in 2005 when he was less than a decade removed from winning the Best Actor Oscar. So I think that has made it so that if it, your first time seeing it was 2019 with your impression of drive angry Nick Cage, then you're like, this guy's, this guy's silly and he, he can't have the gravitas of a real actor. See, in my own defense, I, I'm going to disagree with you because I went into it thinking this is going to be an amazing Nick Cage performance because I've seen some really good Nick Cage performances. Yeah. But I'm, the whole movie, I'm waiting for him to have at least one monologue where he grips me and it just fell flat. Oh, God. Okay. So, so my personal rating, and again, I like this movie more than maybe anyone um, and we'll talk a little bit later about how I might be Nick Cage's biggest fan, <laughs> but I think I saw this movie in like 2006, like on HBO randomly, you know, HBO shows the same movies a hundred times. And I think I saw it on HBO and like watched it like 10 times in the month that it came on. Every time it's on Netflix, I will watch it. In fact, I'll sometimes think it's, it has rotated off of Netflix because I think Netflix buries movies that you watch so you don't watch them again because, yeah. you know, it's weird to suggest a movie you watched. Because it's a shit movie and they don't want people to watch it. So I've seen this movie an absurd number of times. So I will admit my rating is biasedly high, but it is actually closer to the real rating than yours, Mario. My rating is an 80. Oh my like, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. It is I'm going to throw up. I love this movie too much. I think I'm going to so, Another thing, a little, little side comment here. We uh, have collectively decided to switch our, quote, standard rating to Metacritic. Let's explain why. Give a little rundown. Personally, I like Metacritic better. Metacritic has more nuance in their ratings. Um, it, Rotten Tomatoes, to my understanding, either takes things as a good rating or a bad rating, whereas Metacritic allows for a lot more of the nuance in the middle areas, which is where all of our movies hang out anyway, in the range between like a 30 and a 70. Or this one is below a 20. This movie's rating, per Metacritic, is a 62. Okay. Per Rotten Tomatoes, it's also a 61. So either way, it's a above average movie. So we switched, but you still said Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I just wanted to <laughs> defend that yeah. for both of them, because that's why I thought this would be a good right. movie to switch. a little switch. bit higher than 20 or 19. Yeah. So Cole takes the home the... Cole takes home closest to the pen, for sure. Bread, if you will. So well, couple, top of the hat to you, Miss Corningstone. Couple pertinent uh, reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert, who we always like to reference, because he's like one of the most famous ones. I, I bet he loved it. Three and a half stars. Fucking A. Big fan. What the uh, hell? Peter Travers, probably a little bit more in line with what we're thinking. He writes Rolling Stone. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with him. He gave it two and a half stars. So out of Metacritic, that uh, would be like a 61. Pretty much dead on. Yeah. Two and a half stars out of four. Oh. Um, and this is what he said, which I think is a good summary of, of what is wrong with the movie. Um, ambition is in short supply at the multiplex. Sorry, ambition is in such short supply at the multiplex that it seems churlish to hammer Lord of War for having too much of it. Churlish. But the poison arrows of satire that writer-director Andrew Nichol aims at international arms dealing and the great powers who let it happen for their own game, the U.S. dangles prominently on Nichols' hook, are frustratingly scattershot. Which I think is a really good Damn. summary of what Son does of a bitch. This is a satire work. too? It's definitely a good summary because a lot of those words I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Churlish? I don't think this one is as satirical like as it is just a... Childish turtle. I mean, he does, did say it's satire. I don't think it's intentionally satirical yeah. as much as it's like a black comedy. It, it, that would be like the category I'd put it closest to. Uh, definitely some dramatic moments as well. Um, yeah. No, and I agree. I think kind of as we talk about too with if we're sure now hearing those scores and some of those reviews. Um, so for me, I recognize it's exactly true, the thing that you said, and I even wrote this down, that I feel there's probably a little bit of an unhealthy, like pre-existing apprehension that I have for Nick Cage not being a great actor because I know him now as just kind of a caricature of, mm -hmm. of himself. himself. Yeah. And so when it started out doing some of the things that he's known for now and made, a fun, made fun of for now, it like automatically kind of sets it in that category of like, oh gosh. So I get it. I think that you know, perhaps if this is me watching this for the first time in 2005, I would probably have a way more enjoyable experience for this. Partly because one of the things that I think is really great about the movie is it takes a storyline that is relatively uncommon to me that... Uh, I think I've, I watched War. <laughs> I watched War Dogs, which yeah. came out more recently. Which I watched that first. I, had, I didn't even know, and then until I saw War Dogs, people were like, "Oh, this is like basically the same movie that Nick Cage did called Lord of War." I was like, "Oh, I'll watch that as well." Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so both of them seem to be relatively unique movies in like the crime drama yeah. Yeah. category. I, don't, I haven't heard this story told a lot. For, 
Sure. And for so for sure. that, like, I thought it was it was pretty good. But, yeah. And going off that, I actually went in two things. I there's a Christmas movie Nick Cage was in, phenomenal performance. Family Man, I believe it's called. Yeah. He's really really good in it. So I'm thinking I'm gonna get Family Man Nick Cage. I was really let down, but I thought it was going to be War Dogs had its flaws, but I thought it was effective in communicating how these two. I think it was Miami guys, or they moved to Miami, wherever they were. No, they're in Brooklyn. Brooklyn guys yeah. ended up, yeah, moving big time in Miami. But uh, these two Brooklyn guys, how they could come into possession of all these guns and then distribute them, I thought they did an effective job. So I, I compared it to that, and I just thought they missed the boat so many times. Um, I think a lot of it, in my opinion, they were trying to lean on Nick Cage because he, he does a mo- you know the whole thing he narrates. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a which, Nick Cage movie. Yeah, yeah, which it's like, okay, we can make up for the bad plot or the plot holes because we have Nick Cage in it, but he does not deliver. So uh, I always like to talk about when we review these movies, they're kind of middle-of-the-road, mediocre movies. Um, what's the best way you could fix them? Or what's the fastest way you can fix them? It's kind of how I think about movies is like, and probably why I like middle-of-the-road movies a lot, because I think, how could this movie be better quickly? So what's the most efficient way you could fix Lord of War and make it a make it an A-plus movie? So I feel like it's unfair to say, but my immediate reaction was to switch Nick Cage with a different actor. But that doesn't seem super efficient, because that's a major role in the film, so I don't know if that... No, I think that's fair. That's like, if, you can do if, it. if it's a single sentence, I think that's an efficient fix, even though you'd have to reshoot the whole movie. And here's why. I mean efficiency in terms of one change. Yeah, yeah so my one change is Nick Cage playing the role that he plays in this movie because I have a really hard time buying him as the badass slash cool under pressure charmer type character that he plays and so like while he definitely would not maybe pass as a Russian I think somebody like Denzel Washington in American Gangster no, well, playing this a, role would do really really Ukrainian. well with it oh, yeah. um, and so yeah so I feel like somebody like Denzel Washington would yeah, do really well, yeah. well with that with so, that archetype although he wouldn't have passed as a Ukrainian but maybe somebody like Russell Crowe could have passed for a Ukrainian Oh, yeah. um, and, and could have like definitely been at least a little bit more menacing yeah. uh, in the role that was attempting to be, I think, somewhat menacing. So that's my, my switch. Jumping off that, I, thank God Jared Leto must have taken acting lessons because, oh my God, is he bad in this movie. Oh my God. So you'd swap out the Jared Leto character? No, I'm just one okay. of the comments. Do you have a reaction to that? I do. I thought Jared Leto's character was really strong. Uh, I thought it was the best part of the duo. Oh, I thought he was like... I'm a drunk guy. I love my brother. It was so bad to me. So if we, and I usually think he's good. If we circle back to, are we sure? Are we sure Jared Leto's good? He's great. Blade Runner 249, okay. he's phenomenal. And he is. Dallas Buyers Club, I haven't seen it, but I think he won an Oscar. Or no, he was nominated for Best Supporting. Okay. Um, he was Joker. I mean, love it or hate it. I mean, he kind of con- con- conveyed that character okay. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh... What would I change? I actually don't think I would recast Nick Cage. I know the flaws that he brings to the table with his acting abilities, but I thought um, to go kind of up with with Bryce said he loves movies that hang out in this this area, right? This middle range. I don't. I like the movies that are the best of the best because they just captivate me, and I am just floored by them. I was watching this movie thinking, if you had a different director who had some good vision about what this movie could be, I think it could be a really good movie with Nick Cage. I would have included more dramatic scenes with Nick Cage being at a low point in his life and how desperate he is, what he needs to do to make it for his family and how addicted he is to this this game, if you will. Um, and I thought the director was just... It was just scene, random scenes put together, and I, I it really felt disjointed for me. I don't even know who I would get to direct it, though. So I don't think that is the directing so much as, again, the plotting, which is the writer, but the writer and the director is the same person, um, which I'd like to talk about him a little bit more in our tiddly bits. But um, I had trouble coming up with an efficient fix because the biggest plot hole or the biggest problem for me with the movie is also one of the things I like about the movie, and it is kind of scattershot. It is telling a lot of different stories at the same time because what they did with this movie is they took a lot of stories that had kind of gone under the radar about gun running and the history of the past, you know, right. 50 years or whatever, um, and kind of stitched them all into this one character, which is why it feels distru- it feels like a right. series of... It's Forrest Gump. Of, yeah, it's a Forrest Gump of gun running, basically. And so he took all these stories of Shrimp famous gun runners and things that had happened to them 
and kind of stitch them together. And that's not an efficient fix. So <clears throat> I think my efficient fix is similar to what uh, Mario is saying a little bit of just add more of the drama and steer away from the comedy a little bit. Cause I wrote on my notes, <clears throat> the thing that I think that when you fix it the fastest, which is a very indescript way of saying it is it lacks the courage to fully say what it wants to say. Yeah. And if it steers a hundred percent into the drama of everything and those scenes where Jared Leto's character is heartbroken and Nick Cage's character is ready to move on. I think that's where the movie yeah. maybe does its best. Yeah. Cause it didn't that and the Ethan Hawke scenes are I think are really strong oh, too. That's so... like those are the times of me where I was like the most in suspense of like Yeah. You know. So I don't think Ethan Hawke, he's not one of my favorite actors. Um, sometimes I watch him and I'm like, huh, what does this guy have? What qualities does he have that got him to where he is? Because I, I don't think he stands out. But in this movie, I thought he... He, he plays a great officer. Circles he's, around everyone. He's he, built to play an officer. Yeah, he was great in the movie. Training day. <laughs> he's really good in the movie. But my question is, what is this movie trying to accomplish? So I think this movie has a, a very specific point. Because if you look at the writer and director, all of his movies have a very specific social commentary, political commentary. And so I think the commentary that's kind of finally fully laid out in the last 15 minutes of the movie is the point he was trying to get there, get to, and it does take an hour and 45 minutes of film to get there. So, yeah, so he's like the corruptness of the gun trade, right? That even... The, the corruption of the gun trade isn't fully tied to a gun runner, but yeah. it's tied to the countries that are doing it. Yeah. Right. And most importantly, the country that he lives in. Right. Which is America. Well, he lists all five countries. Yeah. yeah. But then it's also a, a family. Like, he, he's doing this for the sake of his family, for the welfare of his family. He doesn't want to let... He's doing it for... I don't think he's doing it for his family. I think he's doing it in spite of his family. He does it before he has a family. I don't know. It seems to me, I'm watching the movie, and now he's like, oh, I'm in it too deep. I have... He even mentioned, I have... I'm paying off credit card debt with a credit card. To maintain right. the lifestyle that she's used yeah, to. Yeah. So, like, this is what he knows to make money. It's got that storyline. He's also struggling with, oh, my... Morally, am I letting down my family, my parents, my brother, the relationship with his brothers there? It just, it touches on each little storyline and never fully comes through. Yeah, I think, just to that point, it, he, you know, he mentioned specifically that the reason he gets into it pretty much is because he's bored. He's like, I live in Brighton Beach, I'm bored here, I want to do something else. And so that's what he can do to get out. And he gets his, you know, trophy family because of that and then goes into debt. But by the you know, last 75% or last 25% of the movie, he has enough wealth that he could be out entirely. He, and that happens, he gets out and then the president of Liberia comes and, yeah. and says, nope, you're back in. And he doesn't hesitate to get back in because yeah. he likes it. Yeah. Um, so I think, so I think there's Which kind of, predictable. yeah, of course. So it's kind of, cause there's kind of two things going on there. There's like the Scarface descent going on with a very similar, but different change of, you know, what ultimately kills Scarface in that movie, which we might do later, is his humanity coming back to him. What ultimately kills Nick Cage isn't his own humanity, but his brother's humanity. Um, so anyway, we kind of started to tap, tap our toes in this a little bit. Um, but our best scene category, which again, kind of try to change from best scene, which feels too generic. So uh, I always say, which one scene would you show to someone to convince them to watch this movie? I'd show them, I'd show them the end of the credits and say, if you want a two-hour nap, this is the movie. No. Um, I, I, honestly, man, I would not recommend this movie to anyone. I thought it was very bad. But if I absolutely had to, I like to think of it if I had to pitch the movie because I've yeah. even invested in it. Right. To like a producer, whatever. Investors? Possibly you. The end scene, interrogation with Ethan Hawke. That's a good one. He in is, two minutes, someone's going to knock on the door. The yeah. Whole scene. He's really good. And then Nick Cage has a little bit of Nick Cage brilliance at the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they shot this scene first. And then it just went downhill. <clears throat> and because of what we said, that that scene is the point of the movie. The yes. Scene is, oh, yeah. He, he, Nick Cage is basically monologuing to Ethan Hawke to explain this yes. is what the movie is about. And I did have a moment because I watched it in parts. Um, I struggled through it. And, uh, <laughs> but when he says in two minutes, and they, sh they show the general, the, or whatever his ranking is, very briefly early on in the movie, they showed him meeting with him. And so I was like, oh, no, he's going to get out of this because the U.S. is so tied up in it as well. Right. Um, they need him. I didn't want it to end that way. I'm like, oh, I hope he's just so smug and 
Ethan Hawke's like, you son of a bitch. I'm Ethan Hawke. I'm Ethan fucking Hawke. I survived the, what's it called? That movie where people kill each other? Training The Purge. The Purge. Oh, he doesn't survive. He dies. Never mind. Ethan. For me, the scene I would show somebody. So I have two. I have one I'm way more confident, so I'll say the first one that I'm less confident. I think the end of the Cold War scene with the arms in the USSR where he goes over there to Ukraine and like goes with his, I think it's his uncle, Yuri, yeah. classic name for a Russian. Yuri, the uh, trainer who trains? Um, <laughs> and just like seeing like all of the extent of the things he's gonna basically be in business with and like from AK-47s to actual tanks, it's like a very like dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think my real answer though, and it's funny because I think 14 years later now, it's something that we make fun of, but the opening scene where they kind of do the travel point of a bullet from origin manufacturer to, that, manufacturer that, that to yeah. everything to gun to killing a child which oh, is a big cool. tension point of the movie that's one of the things they're you know obviously poking at as well so it's like this overly cgi like micro version of like here's what you don't get to see because you're a human being you don't get to see on the micro level like i think they did it similar in uh spider-man like with like the webbing and like yeah but spider-man was good yeah spider-man's really good i'm just saying it, it was definitely a trope <laughs> yeah, yeah. of like the mid and early 2000s to do oh, like yeah. an intro that style but I do think that best describes like what the movie's about because it also has him narrating over it. It's it's he's not narrating over that. He, 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 he come, come, comes right out of that. It, that like song that. that's playing. It's so it's in every movie ever. Yeah, it's it's a pretty iconic song. What as well. song is it again? Um, I don't know the name of that song. Buffalo Springfield, I think, is the one that sings it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, kid, it's like it's like essentially one of the Marvin Gaye type songs, yeah. like anti-war. When the kid gets mean, shot uh, in the head, not Marvin. Fortunate Gaye. son. Marvin Gaye. Is, mm -hmm. But I thought he wrote like a whole album against anti-war stuff. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I think but when the kid gets shot at the end of that, I literally thought, Bryce, what the fuck are you having to watch? <laughs> I really did. I was in a bad mood. I was like, this is disgusting. Really, uh, really a uh, side tangent here, but good thing the music, the movie has going for it. Lots of good music in it. Um, mm. That song in particular, the I Want Money when he is selling all the guns to different people, and then Cocaine when... Uh, What's going on? That's his anti-war song, Marvin Gaye. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's when, going on? When Jared Leto <laughs> is... Uh, is on his bender. Uh, I thought the music in this movie is really good. But uh, can we also say how impossible the line of Nick Cage to say uh, would have made an even bigger profit except one kilo didn't make it back? A kilo? A kilo? Kilos a lot of cocaine. That's yeah. so much. Yeah. I don't do drugs, so I wouldn't know. I know. I, I know a kilograms a lot though. <laughs> Did you go? Oh, go Wait, ahead. Uh, so my my scene that was my second pick, Cole. I, uh, that's. Scene is one of the reasons I disagree with Mark oh, earlier. Oh, Jared Leto did it. He did the, that much. It was the inference, right? He didn't make a kilo to make it back because Jared Leto took it. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With all the you got there. <laughs> I knew that there. watching the movie. Remember, I didn't he know. Remembered you, Ukraine. But I, remember, I forgot. I'm like, what are you guys Ukraine. talking about? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. His brother took <laughs> Yuri. it. Yuri. Um, but. <laughs> Cole's choice was my second choice. I do. That's one of the reasons that I disagree with Mario about the direction because I thought the direction has some really good moments, and that opening scene is one of them. Yes, the CGI is not great, but it was 2005. There's lots of bad CGI going on at that time. Yeah, you might remember that the first Hulk movie came out just a few years before this. Such and a good movie. The first Hulk. So many ever fell asleep in. Yeah. So anyway, the, the CGI uh -huh. is uh, not very good, but I think that scene in general, what they're trying to do with it is very effective but my number one is the uh, crystal kono scene which is the boat um when he does the quick change of the boat's name oh, which yeah. is the first time we see ethan hawk's character who as we talked about like makes a lot of scenes <laughs> in the movie a lot better doesn't he tell the boat driver slow us down a lot and then the dial says like slow down no, a lot. Dead slow. oh it's a real thing it's a real thing oh, yeah, i yeah, thought yeah. it was like a joke I was like, no <laughs> dad slow it's a real it's a real nautical okay. speech. nautical have very simple terms yeah. you know gotcha, gotcha. so because titanic they really had to simplify the answers <laughs> Well, they had those in the Titanic, too. But uh, I think that scene's a really good like demonstration of what's going on throughout the whole movie. Uh, you get Ethan Hawke's character. You get Nick's ca Nick Cage's character being very clever and elusive. You get um, Jared Leto's character also being smart and helpful. And you get to see a little of his uh, his technique yeah. on how yeah. the potatoes roll away after they get back off the boat. It's kind of cool. Did you guys yeah. think the... Because um, I thought this was not... A, I thought it was ineffective. And I was a little bummed because I'm like, oh, I wish I cared more about it. When Jared Leto dies at the end, pretty much he dies. He's like, oh, my morality is bigger than this. Whatever we're trying to do here. Right. Well, because he's he's shown hints of that throughout the movie. Yeah. No, I'm saying you're saying you it's guys, not as effective. No, as when movie. he gets killed, it's like, oh, and then Nick Cage is just like, ah. <clears throat> um, I think yes, that that scene is not as effective as it should have been for a number of the reasons we've said. 
the, the Jared Leto character, whose name is Vitaly in the movie. So the yeah. Vitaly character is in and out of the plot too much for you to really like feel it. Yeah. Um, the part that I do like, and I think this is compliments to Jared Leto, is the guy comes over and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm doing something for Yuri, which he's lying that he's you know doing something for Yuri. But what he really means is he's trying to yeah. save Yuri's soul, so to speak. Um, so that line by itself, I think, is okay. But the whole death is not as good as Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. Like, it's a weird tension for me to have. But in that scene, I'm, like, upset with him Vitaly. with Vitaly because I'm like don't do this right yeah, now yeah I love like, that too not that, I want, not that I want Nick Cage to win I'm like this is just not the way to go about it. this is an unwinnable situation yeah. the, pro the the way you're choosing this is the worst version of this he, he throws a grenade into a shipment of the guns uh -huh. and then he's trying to blow up both ships yeah, he yeah. two grenades but and he gets shot they, down they before he can blow up the other one yeah um, and then Nick Cage puts the pin back in I was like come on man yeah. do your brother some, some justice and then he does his classic <laughs> comment of how much the grenade is worth this way he puts it back in. Was he sick? No, no, that's not what he's coming. He says, lost half the gun, so I lost half the money. Because yeah, the, the warlord yeah, yeah. slides half the diamonds away. Right. Um, but I think like that's a pretty common trope in this, again, style of movie, similar to Scarface, of like, <clears throat> you reach a point of where you have lost so much morality that you're a point of no return. And Nick Cage's character, Yuri, has dragged Vitaly to this point. Yeah. Um, where Yuri knows he's past, he's gone. He dragged um, him the whole way. Yeah, and so uh, I think that was interesting, but I do agree with you, Mario. It's not as effective as it could have been, you know, because we don't see enough of the Vitaly character to really get attached to him. Every time he's there, you do kind of like him, but he's just in and out of the plot quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, some of the times he'll jump back in, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. It's <laughs> when nice he shows up at their wedding. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I liked him. Little dads. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, and I've never been happier to see my brother. That <laughs> time, no, he says, that time he saved me. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So stupid. So, <laughs> the end of the movie, which we've, we've mentioned a couple times, uh, mentions that this movie is based off of actual events, <laughs> which... Um, is as Cole and I always hate when things are I hate when things say they're based off a true story because saying it's based off a true story is so ambiguous and, and there's a lot of movies that are quote unquote based off a true story that they've changed a lot this one says it's been based off of actual events which I think maybe this is too nuanced semantic one guy but existed that he was there was no one person it's taking an amalgamation of multiple drug gun runners and telling oh I, I saw that there was one guy no so forced up it's based off of his later years. So the History Channel named one person, but according to Wikipedia, which has never lied to me, uh, is based off of at least one, two, three, four, five different gun runners. Wikipedia is great. Anyone can get on there and write anything they want about any Wikipedia subject. has never been wrong. Uh, and it tells me he, it's based off of five characters, five gun runners, sorry. Um, so my question about this is which part of the movie, because we, we kind of know some of what's real and what's not. So what part of the movie seems the most outlandish to you, like couldn't possibly be true, and what part of the movie seems the most realistic? Yeah, I think um, funny thing is just, again, like with based on actual events, like I feel like it, that you could still just as much justifiably say that based on actual events is, oh, somebody in a conversation said this happened and that event took place, so <laughs> this is based on actual events. Um, but I think probably for me, like the most outlandish type scene is the the impression that they try to give in the opener even where he's just standing on a street with millions of bullet casings around him so and he's bad. just standing in it i know that's not necessarily meant to be like quote unquote real but it's like what like is this just a dream he's having or is he really standing on this street like again it's like he wouldn't be there and not still and also not alive and i think there's definitely some sequences that are if not dream sequences, at least unreliable narrator sequences. Right. Like when the AK misfires like multiple times, I think that is somewhat dream or drug fueled thing. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely some of that. Um, so I'm gonna twist your thing a little Go for bit. It. Your thing. <laughs> twist your category just yeah, yeah. slightly. That, that one. So I hear, for me was most realistic or base actual yeah, right. Um his greed did feel realistic. Mm -hmm. Like I think they conveyed pretty well. He got accustomed to this lifestyle. You believed his motivation. Yeah, like he was so addicted to this that, and he knew he was good at it. That it's okay. What will people do? F They're never satisfied. It's never enough. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty pretty well conveyed. Um, and then the fact that America was pretty much backing him to supply weapons to their enemies so that they themselves don't have to be the ones doing it, it made you think, oh shoot. That's probably true. Mm -hmm. I hope it not to be, but it probably is true. 
the opposite of that, what felt so out of the park, just ridiculous. How did he obtain the guns? They didn't effectively tell you that he made these sales, he supplied the guns, but like, like I said, in War Dogs, they showed how they were able to come into possession of these weapons before they sold them. They didn't do that in this movie. So well, he narrates all. through a couple of times. He, yeah. Like when he goes to Temple, he says he gets connected, and that's how he first gets into getting a he gets the Uzi. The one gun, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then so you then, see that he buys all the the old guns from the Soviet Union. So he buys them. I don't know. We ever see. And he him. buys all the old guns from the, the U.S. States. Yeah. We never see him pay. We don't know how he made that transaction. He slips the money to the American general. Oh, that's true. But like, I, I'm just saying, like. I don't know. To and me, I need a little bit he more. He doesn't buy them from the Soviet Union. His uncle, who's his connect, um, he says, oh, is that a... He says, we have 40,000 AKs. And he's like, I thought that was a 10. And he's saying, no, it's definitely a 4. He's like, it's whatever we say it is. Write 10. And so he basically just steals yeah. 30,000 And then he AKs. says, and you need more, so order more. Right. right. To me, it was... Like Nick Cage the, Nick all Cage. the guns he would purchase were an escrow, and then he sold them before the payments needed to be made. <laughs> so... Yeah, the biggest thing it does talk about, which is obviously a huge source of lost military weapons, was the collapse of the Soviet Union, where a lot of you know guns have. Yeah. But I, I do agree, the escalation to me from him having one, the, the jump from him having one Uzi... To, <laughs> to a shipment of guns. Which is a good a scene, by the way. Which is a cool scene, yeah. yeah. To him having a shipment of guns and being invited to a gunrunner convention, which I don't know how you score that invitation. <laughs> But yeah. that's the escalation that is the that makes seems the some, like some John Wick lore there, like this secret society of gunrunners, right? Where you get to make love <laughs> yeah. to the women in them. Speaking of, real quick, it's funny how you, you revert to your native language so, in times of great agony and ecstasy. Ah, uh, motherfucker, so bad. But then he the, pretty he tricks his future wife to showing up at a, at a resort. Mm -hmm. She's a model, and he tricks her thinking that she was there for a shoot and it gets canceled. And then he takes advantage of the fact that she's, you know, eh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's upset and in this down, downtrodden state. The whole movie, aren't you waiting for him to reveal to her, hey, we didn't really meet, it wasn't fate. Yeah, but I think his whole thing is he lives 20 double odds, so what's one more? Yeah, and she hints at it a couple of times. And she says, I, I recognize that I, I know you're not. I don't you're, really, yeah. yeah, I want to hear the truth. Um... So, kind of related to Mario, my most outlandish scene, which you said was actually most realistic, was the end, which is like, there's, a, there's no way he just goes. Like, there's no way he just gets out at the end, the very end. Oh, yeah, right. When yeah. he just, they, he leaves, he says most people are happy to I get out of jail. I said that, honestly, it was realistic. But just that they would, like, cover up for. Oh. Okay. And so, that part Either is specifically way. based off of a couple real-life events, per Wikipedia. Um, one of them being... Uh, U.S. intelligence officer who was arrested for gun running. He actually did go to jail, unlike Nick Cage's character. But it was found out later that the CIA covered up evidence that he was gun running for them, basically. Which isn't great. Um, and then, of course, the Iran-Contra scandal in general. It has a lot of parallels to what's going on in here. Obviously, he doesn't go to Iran in the movie at any point. But you see that as well. Oh, Iran, I heard it's lovely. <laughs> lovely this time of year. Um, so what was my most outlandish sequence to me was actually one of the ones that was based in reality, which I thought was interesting. Um, so moving right along to my personal favorite category, Tiddly Bits. Tiddly Bits this week is sponsored by Sony's camcorder. Mm. Um, so <laughs> this is our section to uh, share any uh, fun internet research that For you For all found. your capture needs. <laughs> Power. It only weighs 12 pounds, and it fits right in your arms. Great for Christmas morning and blinding white light. <laughs> yes, and you can watch it back 18 years later, and it's still fuzzy. <laughs> so thanks to Camcorder for, for sponsoring this segment. Appreciate yeah, hookups. It. Did anybody find out anything about uh, Lord of War that uh, you found was interesting? I found a bunch of stuff. Go for it. Um, so one thing I found was that the director said it was actually cheaper to purchase... 3,000 real guns than it was to get fake props. I saw that as well. They purchased 3,000 real weapons yeah. instead of 3,000 prop AK-47, which kind of hammers home the point of the movie. And then he sold them back. Just terrible. Terrible, and he lost money. He said, however, they would cut some of them in half because they didn't want to put them back into circulation. So half a nice guy. Um, which is why. Like, truthfully, let's hang out there for a second. That is insane that 3,000 real guns are cheaper than 3,000 Yeah, guns. he said it was disturbing how easy it was to purchase the weapons. Yeah, that's, that's wild. That's sick. 
That's crazy. Um, that does... They did use real tanks. Yep. And they were yep. told they needed them by back by December. They were selling them to Libya. <laughs> mm. Which, again, awesome. Like, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff is worse than the actual movie. Yeah, like, with that, they literally, it makes... they literally had to... Uh, send a dispatch to NATO to tell them when you see it on the satellite, we're filming a movie, we're not starting a war. Please do not. Oh my god. On set when they had all the tanks. They were like literally had to tell NATO, by the way, this is for a movie. I wonder Which if also seems NATO like the easiest there. cover up to start a war. Right? <laughs> True, yeah. Don't quote These me on are this, movie that's nukes. That's how we entered World War One. Officer. Nope. <laughs> These are movie nukes. These are movie nukes. Movie. They're Step fake. Away. See that? Step away from the props. Knock, knock. There you yeah, go. it's like Joe Dirt with the uh, septic tank. <laughs> Don't remember that. Tidbits is a sad, sad section for this Really spot. sad. Um, I don't know if this really fits a tidbit, but we already kind of talked about it. I just really like Ethan Hawke in this movie. I yeah, think, that's fair. How did you marry him? I thought he, again, he carried a lot of the tension points in the movie, and the movie needed more Good tension acting. points. Um, and so I loved the like literal like, kind of cat and mouse of... Nick Cage coming up with a clever solution to their immediate problem. Ethan Hawke getting there seconds later to only find him, like, technically true. And, like, and I really liked how Nick Cage, even though I hate him typically narrating an entire movie. Um, <laughs> Although I would love to hear it again. I appreciate him telling me the things about Ethan Hawke's character that I like more about him. He's like, right. he's the rarest form of agent where he couldn't be bought, but he's also such a Boy Scout that he would not bring somebody in without correct evidence. So mm -hmm. it's like, he's like... He was really hard to deal with, but in oh, a good way. Oh, he was way. a boy scout? I thought he was on the CIA, FBI. So, no, like, Interpol. <laughs> so speaking of that, that's a tidbit I learned. Um, and I feel like Interpol is... Sorry, were you finished? No, I, I am. Okay. Interpol, isn't that an English thing? No, Interpol is an international police organization. Oh, but it's oh. portrayed so differently uh, in movies. Part of me was like, is that real? Like, is there really an Interpol? <laughs> because it's in uh, Ocean's 12 as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just like, what do they do? Um, so it turns out that the role of Interpol is greatly exaggerated in this movie. Interpol does not have the power to arrest people. What they do is coordinate police departments of different nations so that they can arrest people. Uh, so Ethan Hawke, if he was an Interpol agent, would not be able to arrest And he read him as American rights. Yeah, in Africa. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Ethan, so, you liar! <laughs> well, no, he'd still have his rights, but I'm saying Ethan, I've, as I've an Interpol my agent... Opinion on you. I don't think an American police officer can make an arrest in... <laughs> Africa. Yeah, oh yeah, jurisdiction is not there. You're right. But no, it's uh, since it was across yeah, it was across yeah, international lines he would be able to. Um so uh my uh my last little thing is about the writer slash director. His name is Andrew Nickel. Um and so I did a little deep dive into him as I was researching this movie. Uh and so he's also the writer of the Truman Show. Isn't it Nicole? No. If there's no young man. I thought it was an I. Uh so anyway, Andrew Nickel also uh wrote um the Truman Show, Great which movie. is arguably his best movie. Um, but it just made me think, because I obviously like The Truman Show. Obviously, you've heard me talk about how much I like this movie. Um, it makes yeah. me want to go uh, check out some more of his movies, because they seem like The Truman Show, like Lord of War, seem to have a very um, specific point of view that I find interesting. Another movie that he made that I did not see, um, that I recognized, though, was In Time, which is the Justin Timberlake movie. Oh, I saw it. Which you apparently can, is bad. You can skip that one. Oh, okay. Uh, I love JT, cool, but... It's much like kind of what Lord of War and Truman Show have going on. A cool, cool premise, yeah. poor execution. Maybe you don't catch JT as your lead. I don't know. I do love JT. You love Justin Timberlake. He's a great um, social network. So I might do a deep dive on some Andrew Nichol films over the next couple weeks. I'll keep you guys posted. All right. Please um, don't. But I did think he did a good job of directing the... He didn't direct the Truman Show. Uh, but I do think Mario disagrees with me. But I thought his direction was good. Um, in a certain couple of scenes, we talked about the beginning. Uh, I think the scene where the uh, he lands the plane just trusting that the African people nearby are going to like disassemble it was a really cool scene from beginning to end. From him giving away the guns, Gosh, getting arrested... Zooms in on the plane. <laughs> the plane gets disassembled. They were following right behind. That was such a great. Gets, that is a great scene. It took them three hours to find him after he unloaded the plane. They so they have to go to the airport. They don't want to land on the dirt road in the middle of oh, nowhere. So they have to fly all the way to the airport. I don't and think then that's drive, realistic. And drive they, to the airport. I thought that was very realistic. They, I they that was have, not realistic. If they were apprehending someone, they probably would have landed where they landed. No, it, literally, mm. he like put a gun to the pilot's head to like land this plane here. You have to. Maybe. I, don't know. I was also a jet, so probably true. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that scene's really cool. The time lapse of them taking apart the plane is really cool. Um, so I think it does have some good moments direction-wise. Individual scenes look cool, like we've talked about a couple times. 
The plot doesn't exactly go together, but again, the reason for that is it's stitching together the stories Who? of like five different people. Who's the wife? Bridget Moynihan. Yeah. Moynihan. Where is she? She looks familiar. What else has she she's, been in? She's in movies. She's been in films before. Speaking of in films, my other tiddly bit uh, <laughs> is uh, the helicopter mechanic is Nick Cage's real life son, Weston Cage. Wow. That's his that cameo. is a very oh, fun tiddly bit. Kid. Yeah. Who, uh, and there's even a little tip of the hat to it because uh, in that scene, uh, Nick Cage tells him in Russian, son, oh. get out of here before you get hurt. Yeah. Uh, and so he's calling his son, son. She, so Bridget Moynihan's the wife from John Wick. She's the girl in oh, the robot. Oh, John Wick is where yeah. I recognize her. She's not even in the movie. She's in a photograph. Well, she's in the movie. She, there are scenes of her in oh, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> there are she flashbacks. She frolics around. <laughs> she, um, I like her because she's the reason John Wick is so awesome. Yeah. So she, good, shout out to Bridget Moynihan. Vital, what's her? Uh, Yuri, Yuri broke her heart. Yeah. And so then she, she got married. Find... Lord of War, John Wick, connected universe oh, and I making wish. that happen. He would destroy him. John Wick would destroy him. <laughs> um... So, my last category, specific to this movie, my last category is called, What the Hell Happened to Nick Cage? And here's, here's why. <laughs> because this is going to be a little bit morbid, and I did, I think I stole this from Bill Simmons, so bear with me. Please don't cease and desist us, Bill Simmons. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's listening. <laughs> Billy, we're sorry. It's, uh, it's called the Kurt Cobain test, which is basically based off the premise, again, very morbid. Kurt Cobain died, but he's remembered very fondly because he basically released like one or two albums that were very good. Um, and, and then so, passed away. And then passed away. Uh, so if we take that with Nick Cage, <clears throat> I was thinking, like, as I was researching Nick Cage's career, like if Nick Cage just stops making movies, I, won't, I don't want to say die because that, uh, that makes me sad, but he retires he, for various reasons. After this movie, <laughs> there's like a chance Nick Cage might be my favorite actor. Until he goes into what we know now of Nick Cage, like we talked about earlier. Well, you know why he takes every movie now. Apparently, he made some poor financial decisions. And it, it was, I think it was a reference in this movie. Is I had it? heard that he would go into museums and buy the most outlandish and expensive paintings right off the wall. And he, he does it in the movie. But I'm like, oh, this is probably where he got that from. He thought that was a cool <laughs> he thing to do. He did that in real life, yeah. Maybe, maybe this movie is the movie that, that ended him. Yeah. Um, so... And it is weird because I think he's he's doing a lot of the same exact thing in Gone in 60 Seconds where he narrates a lot. Mm -hmm. But I love Gone in 60 Seconds. And if I watched it again right now, I would still probably love it. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I think... Would you make it like a 90 thing? The What happened to Nick Cage <laughs> is what I said at the beginning, is that he became a caricature of himself. Um, and he just plays a lot of these roles where so much of it is his own voiceover carrying the plot along. And I think this is probably as, like, as harsh as my critics, my critiques has ever gotten before. My critiques. Uh, is that a lot of times I feel like literally he's narrating in lieu of acting. He's yes. just saying oh, how God. he feels. Yes. He's saying what he's trying to portray without actually demonstrating yeah, it. Yeah, it's exactly what this movie And was. it feels, I would say, like, again, I, I'm an actor. I don't claim to have any skill in this situation. It feels like an actor trying to act. It, it feels like that. Or to me, it feels a little lazy. It feels like... It's easier for me to rely on a voice that people like, so I'm going to speak in my voice and say how I feel rather than actually have yeah. to act it out. Like, even in the scene where he says, I was so happy to see, uh, what's his brother's name again? Vitali. Vitali. He says he was so yeah. happy to see him before he actually I hugs him and smiles. I'm so happy. I think what happened to Cage is what we, we just kind of touched on. Financially, he was in a crisis, and he was forced to take every single role that came his way whether it was a, a straight-to-DVD role or a crappy Netflix movie, whatever, and studios capitalized on the fact that, hey, he's been in so many bad roles, now people watch him because they think it's funny to see him in these ridiculous movies. Um, and I think that's really... He, he couldn't be selective anymore, right? You have Lord of War... You can't be selective if you're trying to make a buck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have Lord of War, let's say, it's not the best financially successful movie... If he was still really good, he could say, okay, the next thing I'm going to do is going to be really good on par with whatever else. What would he win the Oscar for? Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, Leaving Las yeah. Vegas. But um, this movie is a snapshot of, to me, where his career went downhill. It's yep. just, and Cole, you hit the nail on the head. He narrates his lines. He doesn't act. He lazies his way through it. The last good thing I saw in the cage in, it wasn't even him. It was a voiceover, and he actually put some emotion into it. It was... Spider-Man, yeah. 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 Spider-Man Noir. But you know why he was good? He was able to kind of be a little bit of a caricature of 
Nick Cage. Who he's become, yeah. yeah. So let me just hit you with some movies. First of all, shout out to Raising Arizona. I mentioned you guys this to you guys before, but Raising Arizona might be my mom's favorite movie, which probably tells you a lot about the way my movies are the way that they are. It's one of the Coen brothers' first movies. It's really funny. But let me hit you with this run. Starting with 95, Leaving Las Vegas. He wins the Oscar for Best Actor. Here's the next movies that he's in. In what year? I'm sorry. 95. 95. 96, The Rock. Okay. 97, Con Air, which okay. I'm sure will be on here at some point. Gosh, that After is... After Con Air, Face Off. That's a solid four movies. Travolta. Yeah. Even if they're not critically acclaimed, yeah. that's four like so mega Face Off hits. is pretty well known pop culture Here, movies. Here's, here's what he's doing, and I'm cherry picking a little bit. That was literally four consecutive movies. I'm going to cherry pick a little bit uh, for this next run. Um, so he does Gone 60 Seconds in 2000. He also does The Family Man in 2000, which Mario Two mentioned. Two well-liked movies. 2002, uh, Adaptation, which is well-regarded. 2003, Matchstick Men, which is well-regarded. 2004, Weird. National Treasure, which isn't super well-regarded, but it's a fun oh, movie. Oh, it's a fun one. I think it came out and was well-liked, but yeah. then now that I rewatched it... Has it aged well? Gosh, it is brutal. <laughs> so is it really? Just watch him solve a mystery in two seconds, it's really hard to see. <laughs> so his, his very next movie after National Treasure is Lord of War. Um, and that it literally is the downturn, because let me tell you what happens I next. Got it. I 2006, know. The Wicker Man, which is oh, notoriously one of his worst movies. 2007, Ghost Rider. Also, oh. 2007. Oh, that's next. so hard to watch. 2008, Bangkok Dangerous. 2009, Knowing. Like, keep going, keep going. You did 2007, the sequel to National Treasure. 2007, sequel to National Treasure. Sorry, I skipped that one. I'm cherry picking, like I said. 2010, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. 2011, oh. Season of the Witch, Drive Angry. So on and so oh, forth. Drive so it's angry. literally like this movie is the end, or if you're Mario, the beginning yes. of. The change in Mario uh, and except I do think there are a couple along There's the way. There's a couple ones. Yeah, yeah. Name Kick a ass. Couple. Name Kick a ass. I really like. Oh, he had a good role in that. He plays Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah. I really like how he plays that role. Because he wasn't the lead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Um, and then I also liked. Um, it's a long pause. <laughs> we like Spider-Man. I mean, literally, there's... there's, yeah. there's uh, That's probably it. You say Spider-Man? Oh, the yeah. One, I mean, yeah. the animated Spider-Man. So, like, literally after this, there's Kick-Ass, and then there's animated Spider-Man. And that, so it is, and it's unfortunate, <laughs> but I just wanted to talk about it because I do love oh, everything you know, that Cage did before 2000. He had a role in a movie that was good, um, Snowden. The Joseph Gordon-Levitz, he played um, the WikiLeaks guy. Uh-huh. Is it the WikiLeaks movie? No. Snowden, he is, yeah, he's Hank Forrester in Snowden. I Snowden never saw was, Snowden. I never saw I Snowden. I think it's WikiLeaks. I did love yeah, him in G-Force. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the WikiLeaks. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's related. It's, he's not the WikiLeaks guy. That's Julian Assange. Yeah. Edward Snowden is the American who leaked things. Who leaked things, okay. Yeah, he was he was pretty good in that movie. Okay, um, I never saw it. But so. now, unfortunately for Nick Cage, is two things. You either want to watch a movie because he's in it, because it's you want to laugh, or when he's good in a movie, you're like, oh my god. Is this really Nick Cage? Here's where he lives for me. And this is this is what You again, know his address? No, no, no. Here's where, like, and this is just me calling a shot, like, years away. I think, similar to him, in some ways, I think Brendan Fraser is going to come back at some point and shock the world. With totally being, agree with you With there. being great again. Brendan Fraser never had a bad run, though. He just hasn't been in movies. Yeah, no, I think he had some, a pretty bad run. I think yeah, a lot of the sequels say. to The Mummies aren't that great. Yeah. But he's think, not in all of them. But some of the sequels he's in... He's just in The Mummy and The Mummy Returns, I think. Uh, so, I would say The Mummy Returns is not good. I would say <laughs> I like Rocket it. Man's not good. I, I liked it, Rocket but yeah, it wasn't good. I think he's in Rocket Man. I don't know what that is. Sorry. No, I'm not a huge fan of Rocket either. Man. No, that's a different Except guy. for the one time I rode The Mummy Ride, and Brendan Fraser is the best part of that ride. Is he in the ride, or he narrates it? He's, he's like a video screen uh -huh. at the end, he's on it. But no, that's been talked about, Cole. I agree with you. That's been talked about, uh, Brandon Fraser's sons. Well, kind of like Michael Keaton. <clears throat> Michael Keaton was bad, he stopped, but now he's amazing again. Well, anyway, Nick I Cage, I know you're listening because what else are you I assume, do? yeah, but uh, just know that I'm here for you, and if you want to start making good movies again, if you want to run back Con Air 2, I'm here for it. I'll see it. I'll pay to see it a thousand times. <laughs> I'm imploring the camera that doesn't have a lens in for you to come back. The Sony camcorder? Um, if, if you did Con Air 2, and you picked the bunny up... That would be the end of my movie career. I, yeah. I, would say I, I would never see I don't know the reference because I haven't watched Connor. Connor's incredible. It's bad, but it's incredible. It's <sighs> so funny. He's an ex-army. Ex-army oh, ranger. Ex-army ranger. It's the first With five minutes of the movie. He's an ex-army ranger. Southern accent. Who uh, goes to prison. I want to watch it now. And the, obviously, literally, <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Oh, it's, not, it's called Con Air. He's it's like getting transferred to from prison? Yeah. Well, he's, get, he's about to get out. Anyway, he's a good guy. Gosh, he's, it's so good. he's on a plane? With some bad ass. Oh, my God. All right. It sounds like a Bruce Willis movie. 
Um, anyway, last question Relief almost goes without saying, does Lord of War belong in the junk drawer? No, it belongs in the garbage. How dare yes. you? Yes, it does. Ju Lord of War is the ultimate junk drawer movie. Again, I think I've said that every time, but yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's, it's a not shit. very well-known movie. It's a mediocre movie. It should cost $5 at Walmart, and I will buy it every single time. The well, fact that once. it's sold at Walmart speaks volumes to the type of movie that we, we bought Creed at Walmart, so settle down a little Damn bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think it definitely belongs in junk drawer. I think especially because this genre, I feel like, is one of the like largest, maybe with romantic comedies would be another large genre that is in the junk drawer, typically. Yes. But like this crime drama kind of like thriller type movie, I feel like is that is like literally the soil by which the junk drawer is built out of. I do I do miss, and we, we didn't talk about this, and so I want to take just a second here at the end to talk about <clears throat> one of the things you said at the very beginning and that Peter Travers referenced in his review is that this is an ambitious movie and it didn't totally work, and we, we definitely all agree mm -hmm. on that, but I wish there were more ambitious movies in Hollywood right now. And that's definitely something that's been lacking. And I'm, I'm a huge fanboy. I'm a huge fanboy for the Marvel movies. I'm a huge fanboy for Star Wars movies. I'll watch every franchise that yeah. comes out. But totally even me, who like will watch Marvel movies until my eyeballs fall out, and like like look at the movies that come out this summer, and I'm like, please, just someone make yeah. one original movie. And I'll tell you what. And it might not work, and that's why they don't make them, because it is a risk. But now that <laughs> yeah. people are getting tired of the franchises, those aren't hitting. I saw, real quick, the, aside from the Disney tent poles, which tend to always be good, especially the Marvel ones, this movie, this summer's movies have sucked. Well, not just ratings because the studios don't care about ratings. Box office, this, the movies have done poorly. I'm, I'm glad people office. are seeing and hearing that movies are bad and they're not going to see them again or seeing them. Well, the biggest way to tell, this is traditionally, I don't know if it applies in the age of Twitter and Rotten Tomatoes, is they'll drop off between week one and week two. So yeah. if a bunch of people will see week one and not very many people see week two, then that means that word of mouth is getting around that it wasn't a good movie. Biopics are coming back. I love a good biopic. Rocket Man was great. Go see it. Don't see Lord of War. <laughs> anyway, see Rocket Man. That was an aside. Uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, real quick. If you guys had to recast Nick Cage, who would you cast? I said maybe Russell Crowe could could have pulled it off. What but about, I think what about today's time? Russell Crowe is probably. <laughs> well, I, I hate to I hate to give Nick this compliment. I don't think Russell Crowe's like charismatically handsome enough to play that aspect of Nick Cage. Like he's not I don't clean think, enough. I don't think Nick Cage is handsome at all. But but he's clean, which I okay. think is a big part of his role is to like appear to be non gritty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm going the opposite way of you because you said you want somebody menacing, which is why you picked Russell Crowe. I'm looking for that cool, slick, charismatic. Me I don't know if too. you can get him in 2005, but I think Brad Pitt would do a good job with this movie. Ooh, that's Robert Downey Jr. would do a really good job. Oh, with that's movie. what I thought. That's but if it was movie. today, I thought maybe Chris Pine. Chris Pine could do a good job of this yeah. movie as well. I think 2005, he's probably like 20, though. So. Yeah, he was probably too young then. So, anyway, cool. Thanks final for listening, thoughts. Guys. This movie should be called Warlord, but we like it better his way. Ha, ha, ha. We like it, it better be, his it way. It should be called Shit Movie. Douche. <laughs> I guess we'll just end how we started, because the first time you sell a gun is a lot like the first time you have sex. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing, but it's exciting in one way or another. It's over way too fast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. If there's a movie that you want to hear us talk about, then please reach out to us at askthejunkdrawer at gmail.com. See you next time.